Hi, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, we're going to have a discussion with Jules Wilson, principal designer of Jules Wilson Design Studio in San Diego, California. We're going to learn a lot about her story growing up in Rockford, Illinois, her time spent in Italy and how that reinforced vision on space and gave her really interesting design criteria to look at in future projects. And most importantly, we're going to talk about Jules's work in places like Hawaii, Nashville, California, Tempe, Arizona, amongst others, where she deliberately and specifically brings in local color, local design, local aesthetic, and local flavor to make each project both unique, creative, and very much a part of the community and place in which it's built. Hope you enjoy the episode. More than anything, in looking at your work to start, what I would love to hear is a little bit about your personal story, your journey, uh, inspiration. How did we get to, um, you know, to, to Jules Wilson Design Studio 2021? How, how did we get here? Sure. Um, well, I think as a child, I... Um, you know, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, and so I wasn't surrounded by a lot of design. And I think that it really made me kind of go in my own fantasy world, if you will, as a child. I had a playroom with uh, lots of Lego sets, very simple story that I would um, merge all together. My uh, parents bought this home and it had a, a great swimming pool, but it, it didn't have a hot tub. And that was, you know, a child's mind. It was confusing. Why don't we have a hot tub if we have a swimming pool? So I would go in my playroom and just mix my Legos together and live uh, all these fantasy houses and every, every room had hot tub in it it's so ridiculous but I think it got me on this mindset of what would be the this fantasy ideal thing to have as you experience spaces and so long story short um what led me going to uh design school uh in the design institute of San Diego after that I studied in uh Florence Italy I mm education in San Diego, but um, I really uh, became obsessed with history. I wanted more culture. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, studying architecture. So I kind of traded with my my parents to be able to, to study the things that I felt most passionate about. So I learned Italian um, and I went and worked for an architect there and went to school, studied architectural history, studied industrial design. Uh, my parents were very wise because it was, um, I was allowed to go on the basis that I would return, which was probably a good call by them. Um, I loved it there but I think it really allowed me to find myself and find some of the things that are very true to my nature today um, which is you know modernism um, but yet kind of rooted in history and acknowledging history I think I get sad today sometimes when I, I 
feel the sense of loss of history, especially in San Diego, especially on the West Coast. We seem to kind of blow that off a little bit. So um, I love having that, that background. It is, uh, it's astonishing how many points of similarity there are. Um, you're probably not going to believe this, but before I uh, co-founded Urban Bonfire in 2013, for about seven, almost eight years, I was part of a uh, real estate development and consulting group based out of Montreal that had clients all across North America and the Caribbean. And the firm's expertise was to activate and invigorate main streets, college downtowns, uh, downtowns of cities. One of the projects that I uh, worked on in an immersive way was the revitalization of downtown Rockford. Really? Yes, with the Rock Real, with the Rock oh. River Development Corporation, and at oh time gosh. the the mayor's name was Larry Morrissey, who was okay. the mayor at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he had come up to Montreal for an incredible charrette that we did on replanning and reestablishing cities. And I bring this up because Rockford is such an incredible example of real estate or city planning. Um, and what happened over many years was, you, you may know that uh, in the 50s and 60s, the University of Rockford was in downtown. It was in the core of the city, which activated the, the city. And mm-hmm. that was replaced some years later with, at the time, and I don't know if it's still the case, uh, a prison. And the university was moved to the suburbs, which completely changed the scale and the dynamic uh, sort of definition and meaning of the downtown core. So I'm not sure when the last time you were in Rockford was, but if you know, there's the Rockford City Market that happens every week in the downtown. Um, I'm not aware of that. So that was one of the projects that we worked on and, and working on the waterfront and music and yeah. so very small world there. That um, is. No, the I, others, yeah, please. No, I, I, um, I, I, I moved away from there in 91 and I haven't been there for, for five years, but I've always, there's always been a little piece of me that's kind of heartbroken about Rockford because it does have this great waterfront and you could kind of, see the potential of what it could be or what it once was um, and how much it was affected by um, the changes that happened post-industrial era, et cetera. So and, and in speaking question, and, and huh. in speaking about architecture, I mean downtown Rockford and the buildings along the waterfront are mm-hmm. they're majestic. They're so yeah. obviously with the you know with the tremendous uh, legacy of Scandinavian and Swedish population. Right. That's right. Furniture and all of the industrial aspects of Rockford. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looping that into your time in Florence and the architecture and these iconic buildings. And, you know, I acknowledge looking at architecture with a gelato in your hand on the Pondal Vecchio is a very That's nice a experience <laughs> anyway you slice it, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, you happen to have picked places and, and Florence being one of my truly favorite cities in the world to, oh. to, to be in. It's just incredible. Oh, I, lo- I love to hear that. Yeah, it has a special place in my heart. Um, it does. You know, it's, 
it's it's a magical place i think especially at night when it when it quiets down and not all the tourists are out so living there in my young you know my my early 20s i actually and it, it's kind of a late lifestyle you eat late you know you 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 your social life is late and I would love kind of walking home with my friends at, at night, you know, it could be two in the morning or something, one in the morning, but the streets were really quiet and really empty and you could hear the fountains and you could almost sort of be back in time and sort of imagine this, this intimate scale and the quietness. And I would love to hear my, the sound of my, you know, cool Italian shoes walking on the, the pavement down the street. And yeah, it's a magical place. It is. <laughs> Out of curiosity, have you, um, have your travels brought you to Montreal at any point? I have been to Montreal. Um, I love Montreal. I was only there for a weekend. Um, so I don't know it super, super well. And it was probably five or six years ago. But um, really, really wonderful kind of European Very. inspired type atmosphere. But also so. kind of a sense of um, just new and, and raw and alternative and, and just kind of this energy for, for new things at, at the same time. It, it is one of the great examples. And there are countless cities that do this well. New York does this extremely yeah. well. Uh, you know, places around, uh, you know, Tel Aviv and, and Jaffa in Israel, for mm -hmm. example, with historic iconic buildings and fusing in mm -hmm. modern into it. it. Montreal is really a very, uh, to your, a very strong fusion of the historic and the old. Um, mm -hmm. And then with fusion of creativity and new living in a very, in certain cases, beautifully and seamless. In other cases, uh, in my humble opinion, poorly planned and, and downright ostentatious. But you know, every you know, nothing nothing is perfect. Um, yeah. It leads me into an interesting point. I, I know that you've done or you do a significant amount of work, obviously in in Greater San Diego, where where you're mm -hmm. based, but working in Hawaii, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I know you've worked on a significant project in Nashville as well. Um, how do you incorporate um, local story, architecture, nuance into your projects that reflect obviously your design principles and what you are trying to articulate as the lead designer in a project while still being um, cognizant, sensitive to, or wanting to uh, reflect local um, culture, norms, look, feel. How do you do that in such diverse areas at the same time? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really, really great question. Um, I have kind of a funny story. Please. When we started working on the, our project, um, uh, Fifth and Broadway in Nashville, uh, they, they flew me out to to look at other, you know, comp projects, comparable projects. And at the, at the time, you know, this is six years ago or so. And at the time, you know, Nashville has been very up and coming uh, and we're seeing the fruits of that now. And six years ago, we could start to see it, but 
in the world of apartments and multifamily, there really wasn't much there to be inspired by. So they had planned this day of going here and going to this apartment building. And I think we went to one and a half and I said, okay, you know, nothing here is going to inspire me. We do plenty of multifamily housing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to bring something unique, bigger, better, and different. Not that bigger is better. Just we're going to, you know, we're going to come in strong here. And so I really just, you know, spent my time walking the streets, sitting in cafes, eating the food, watching the people, having a drink at night, not till two in the morning anymore. (laughs) Um, But, but really just trying to watch people and watch, watch how they dress, watch how they act, watch how they behave. And then just imagine what would really, really excite if I were that person living here and I went home, what, what would excite me? You know, what would make me proud of where I am? Um, One example, I think where we did that very successfully was in um, the residences in Buckhead, Atlanta. And if Mm -hmm. you've been to Buckhead, Atlanta, I have. Oh, wonderful. Then, then you, you, may hopefully have seen they have you know have these old neighborhoods with these fantastic old mansions and you know my being a sucker for history you know really you know when i was driving around doing my investigative work you know my car was steering to these fancy neighborhoods that were really adjacent to to the project we were working on and so what was originally planned for the project was, you know, two towers with this, you know, quote unquote, community building in between. And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, am I really designing a community building? Do I want to kill myself right now? That sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm laying in my hotel bed at night thinking, well, what do I want if I live here? What's going to excite me? Why do I want to live here? And so I said, I want a mansion. I want one of those mansions that's in this, you know, cool neighborhood next door. So we presented it to the developer and the architects and our community building became a mansion. And the the landscape uh, design uh, became a lawn, like a mansion. And then we just had fun with it from there. You know, the the social area was a salon, there was a billiard room, the ballroom was the fitness area, it was almost like playing a game of Clue. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it sort of had all the components of what Colonel, Colonel, Colonel mustard in the library with the uh, (laughs) candlestick sort of thing. Almost, I was ready to go there. But, you know, we kept that one on the DL. I, I am a huge fan of, of, of Southern architecture. Uh, as, uh, back in my real estate days, I also lived in Buford, South Carolina for oh. about a year and a half and very similar scale of these incredibly majestic homes and yeah. beautiful trees and, and views. And it's just, it's a magical place. But in speaking this idea of space and mansion and, and obviously uh, working in places like uh, San Diego and scaling out of downtown into larger mm-hmm. footprints of land and home, mm-hmm. 
I, I want to talk to you about, you know, your experience in Florence, as example, European, okay. Montreal too. Very walkable, very dense, smaller, yes. typically sizes of living space. Well, lower. Uh-huh but also more romantic and more fun because every little turn is something new to explore and experience. And in North America, we have, you know, in many ways traded that for larger lots, for bigger homes, for needing to drive in most cases to whatever we want. How do you balance those two, those two kinds of uh, two sides of the barbell, if you will? Yeah, that is, that is a great, a great question. Um, I think one of the big misses in kind of current urban environments and planning is, is intimacy. You know, I think the reason that we love, you know, you know, the reason that we love Montreal, the reason that we love, um, you know, some of these great old cities is, is because of that intimate scale. Mm -hmm. And so how do we do that now? I don't know. I think with all the regulations and, you know, I often tell my design team, you know, stop making the hallways so wide, stop making these big corridors, stop making, you know, break it down, break it down, break it down. Um, but, but let it be bold and let it be beautiful. Um, I don't know that I'm answering your question, but I think on a a side note, I've been very focused on this concept of really being embedded in nature and connected Mm -hmm. to nature. And so I recently bought a mid-century home uh, that's historic, has a really fantastic um, history. And it was designed by a friend, an apprentice of Link, Frank Lloyd Wright. It was, it's his, it was his house. He built it with four craftsmen, but it's really connected to nature in the way that Frank, um, you know, would do adjacent outdoor spaces connected to nature. So if you're not in that wonderful urban walkable environment, which I much preferred, um, and I've now transitioned into a single family residence. Um, I would say connecting with nature is a nice offset to the walkability. Now I'm still, you know, 10 minutes or, you know, fi- I'm still five minutes in my car from a walkable area. Amazing. But to me, the trade is um, that connection to nature. If you can't have walkability. It is the absolute perfect segue into wanting to talk to you about your philosophy around outdoor space. So it it couldn't be more on point and and better timing. Um, uh, Having looked at your work, it, it 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 is glaringly obvious what a, how important outdoor space is to you, both in terms of design and in terms of relevance and importance to your client or clients, forgive me. Um, I'd love to hear from you over the last five years, eight years, 10 years, in some reasonable period of time, have you seen or are you seeing a change of importance, definition, investment in prioritization of 
outdoor spaces from your clients. Is it changing where you don't necessarily have to push people as much to make it a priority? And it's not a phase two or a phase three. It's a, it's a primary, it's a room. It's not a space. Help me understand that in, in your practice and what's being asked for by your clients. I think it's a question somewhat relative to geography because being in San Diego, I think the common denominator among San Diegans is that arguably we have the best weather in the, in the country, you know, it's really Maybe even in the of, world. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it's literally perfection. It's incredible. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, not that we could, I could take credit, but it's, 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 it's what we, it's what we all like. And it's a lot why we're all here and it's, it's all in our, our DNA. So we, we absolutely share that in common. So I think that the more that people use outdoor space, um, the more that they feel connected to, it. I don't, I don't know. Let me retract what I'm saying. I think that we've always liked outdoor space as kind of a primal inclination, you know, from, from way back when. I don't know if it's the vitamin D or the sun or the sounds or the smells. I mean, it's a, it's a feast for the senses. And I think there's something in there for everyone if you connect to it in the right way. I mean, I hate bugs. Um, you know, I, there's certain things about nature I can't handle. I'm not a camper. I'm sorry, everyone, but I'm not. Um, but, but I love, <laughs> but I love the outdoors, you know, and, um, but you mentioned excited. earlier, and, and, and it may be a bit of a segue or a bit of a, a weird mm-hmm. example, but you mentioned your love of Lego and the ability to just open all the different boxes. <laughs> yeah. Again, on that point, because that was literally the only thing I played with, you know, the box had the spaceships that you could build with the instructions. Okay. I never once did that. I dumped all of my Lego, everything, yeah. every color, every size into a big bin, and I would just create. Yes. Um, and I think that subliminally for kids, the outdoors is that. The indoors is confined in terms of weather, temperature, light, what you can, what you can't do. The outdoors is far more open end and far more, it, it, it promotes a greater sense of creativity and exploration because there is no terminating wall or ceiling or floor. It's right. vast. And maybe that playfulness that you're describing is in the same way as, you know, Legos are blocks, but what you can do with them is limitless. Mm -hmm. Maybe subliminally the outdoors is very much the same thing for people. And that's where it comes from. I think, I think you nailed it. I think this, the sense of limit, limitless. um, Yeah, I, I think it's great. You know, the, this house that we bought has, you know, sliding doors and, and really deep eaves. And so when you open it up, you can really feel as if you're outdoors when you're, when you're in the indoors. It also has kind of a courtyard pocket that feels intimate. So the more that you can blur the indoors to feel like outdoors and the outdoors to feel like indoors, I would say just has this effect of, of calm, of, of 
peace, of tranquility. Um, you know, with the with the business that I'm running today and the development projects um, that I'm doing with uh, my boyfriend on the side, it's it's a lot to handle. And so, as much as I loved the vibrancy of you know living in Little Italy and downtown, being able to come home to this reprieve and this connection to nature really feels like a gift. It really feels like a type of luxury in, in today's world where um, land is so precious and, and it's sometimes hard to connect to it. Very much so. And I have to imagine, or my hypothesis is, and this is not a loaded question, I, I believe this to be true, that over the last, again, let's use 10 years, for example, the improvement or the advent in technology as it relates to glass, nano walls, outdoor materials yeah. for furniture, lighting, heat, shade, uh, kitchens, appliances, surfaces. I mean, we're at a completely different level of scale and technology than we would have been if we were having this conversation a decade ago. So I imagine that makes it easier for someone in your role to activate outdoor space where you don't have to compromise on aesthetic and you can have cohesion without the risk or worry of the materials not handling or being able to stand up to the elements. Right. Oh, you're a hundred percent correct. You know, the, the fabrics that we have today, the, the fibers that we have today, um, all of that technology and furniture and design, um, you know, as, as you perfectly well know with our, outdoor kitchens and the opportunities that we have there. Now it's not just one kitchen in your home, it's, you know, your outdoor kitchen also. So it's, it's really replicating everything that we do on the interiors to the exterior. You know, I love a lot of mid-century design and it's, it's very simple to see when you study mid-century design how back then when they didn't have those things, you know, you look at the furniture they were using on the outside and although it might look cool, um, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't giving you necessary, in many cases, not all cases, but it wasn't giving you really that same type of experience that, that you can have on, on the interior in terms of comfort and relaxation. However, you could also argue in history that furniture was not necessarily designed to be comfortable the way that it is today. So I think this more willingness for pleasure seeking, more willingness to pamper ourselves is something that um, is accessible to many these days as opposed to just the elite in history. So you can And I think that that pampering or that luxurious experience in many mm -hmm. ways can be more easily and in most cases more cost effectively accomplished outdoors versus indoors. So if you think about a I was talking yesterday with someone about a quote unquote a spa room and the cost of building that indoors versus outdoors with a pergola and a hammock. And, you know, the end result yeah. for the user can be very similar, but a very different level of, of, of cost and, and use of space. Yeah. 
I think that I think that that's mostly true. Um, however, I would say that we built uh, a house a few years back on Sunset Beach uh, in the North Shore of Hawaii. And the cost to build the lanai's actually was the same cost for the the architecture of the home. Wow. So, you know, sometimes outdoor things can be expensive. For sure. But at the same time, sometimes less is more on the outside. You can do a a simple hammock and create Mm -hmm. a completely relaxing experience. And you don't need the art on the wall and the, Sure. the tables and the lamps and the rugs and all the other stuff. It can be, you know, a simple gesture. Very true. And uh, I like to say that what I realized, I was having a conversation many months ago with, um, you may know, uh, Doug Burge, uh, architect uh, up in, um, uh, up in, uh, in, in Northern, not Northern, actually uh, just North of LA. It does some incredible okay. work. And I was, I was chatting with him, Um, and I realized in that moment that when you think about the design or building of a home, there are certain fundamentals. You need a kitchen, a dining room, a living room, X number of bedrooms. There are certain fundamentals that are there. The outdoors is really more of an executive summary of the people's lives. They Mm. can have pools and flat screens. They can have yoga spaces. They can have gardening. They could have none. They could have a massive kitchen. They could have no kitchen. It's much more flexible and creative to handpick the experiences that you want and more easily weave them together because there are no preconceived notions or definitions of outdoor space. Perfectly, perfectly said. Um, I will support wow. what you say by you. Um, giving you, we're, we're working on um, doing our yard right now. Um, and the program in our yard, I've set up a, I've, I've had this childhood, um, just, I've missed having grass. I miss having a lawn. I haven't had a lawn, you know, since I live with my parents. <laughs> You know, I've been in these urban environments and and what have you. So I'm like, I have a house. I want to have a lawn. I want to smell fresh cut grass. So I've set up a croquet court. Nice. I've set up an archery set. Um, <laughs> I've set up not to kill any animals, but just for you know. <laughs> in case in case Gina Davis is in the neighborhood and wants to come over. <laughs> um, a fruit orchard. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I suck at, at gardening, but I did set up a hydroponic indoor garden in my nice. recent remodeled kitchen. We did, we are doing a sunken, um, sectional, I'm sorry, a, a, a suck, sunken conversation pit mm. with fire in the middle that can accommodate, mm-hmm you know, 40 people, but it still feels intimate for five people. We really would say got the scale right on this because it's so flexible, the quantity of people that can feel intimate and have conversation. And then we're setting up a hospitality bar with a charcuterie station. Obviously. On the outdoor. 
Well, when you're slicing, you know, prosciutto and those types of things, it's very important to have that available. I mean, it's, it's really a fundamental. It is. So, so you're absolutely right. You get to, um, when we were redoing our kitchen, my, my, my boyfriend and partner designs restaurants, really extravagant restaurants. And so I said, what do you want in the, the kitchen? And he said, a charcuterie station. And I, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is not a commercial restaurant. Like we don't have stations necessarily. Um, so anyway, after much negotiation, we are going to have a charcuterie station, but it's going to be at the outdoor kitchen. And is area. it the old school with the wheel and it slices beautifully like you would see in, you know, in a beautiful restaurant in Florence, obviously that first course being very, that type of experience. Yes. That wow. really delicate, Wonderful. salty, you know, meats. And so. And if you um, can grow your own melons in your garden, you've really, <laughs> you know, you've complimented both sides of it. I mean, prosciutto yeah. melon is like, uh, you know, it's, it's your classic there. Right. Well, and wow. then I get basil from my hydroponic indoor garden in my kitchen. Amazing. It sounds like a, a wonderful dream that is manifesting itself into reality for you. I, uh, it, it sounds like so much fun. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I th it, it is very much fun. So thank you. But to your point, you know, the exterior spaces allow you to, I think, fulfill some of those greater fantasies, you know, that, you know, when I was living in a fantastic loft, um, I, I had a balcony, you know, and there's, you know, I had a couple cool pieces of furniture and some plants and, you know, that, that was about all I could have, you know? So in that spirit, you know, it's nice to have a house also. I mean, I'm, I'm still a sucker for urban environments to be honest, but but when in Rome, and, and if that's that's what you have, it's, it's a real opportunity to, I think, let your hair down and really find your, your inner kid, your inner, whatever that inner fantasy is, that's going to, your mansion, you know, your whatever. It's, it's much easier, I think, if you're looking at the, the polarity or the duality of urban versus, and rural is not the right word to use here because it's five minutes, but let's say something more removed in terms of size mm -hmm. and, and, and scale. It's much easier to, I think, benefit from and enjoy being in that utopic nature environment mm -hmm. that you've described. And when you need that urban buzz, you know, dinner, a walk, an overnight in a hotel, those types right. of things, the urban can be accomplished far more easily than living in urban and right. seeking out the space. That's harder to do, I believe. What a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but, but you're right. Um, we just came back from um, holiday in Tulum mm. uh, and I came home, you know, back to my own little this is my little fern fantasy in the, in the background here. I've been really into this fern fantasy concept, but I came home and I think that connection to nature and, and being in the outdoor areas made me feel like, you know, I'm kind of still on vacation at home. And I think 
I don't know that the urban environment gives you that that kind of experience, but it it does do many other things that are. It does. And there's a worldwide movement towards urbanity and people are moving Mm -hmm. from larger to be in contact with farmers markets and walking groups and Mm -hmm. yoga and restaurants and are using patios, common areas, rooftops, courtyards, and saying, this is enough. I'm going to trade for that, particularly in the baby boomer and and older generation. I mean, worldwide, the movement is unbelievable. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I feel, or I feel very similarly to you in terms of uh, sort of values. And that if, if it was picking one, I would absolutely pick uh, space and outdoors and not being confined by this is all that I can use in mm-hmm. perpetuity that I have the ability to add and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of grow creatively. I like having that sort of boundless. Yeah. Future. Yeah. Great. <laughs> really fun. Jules, I, I have, I have so enjoyed our conversation. I, um, I, I think that uh, so many of our experiences are, uh, are similar. I, um, you know, whether I'm, uh, it would be so great to, uh, you know, see your, uh, see your office. And when, uh, when travel permits, I'd love to uh, meet up with you. Uh, California is probably the first place I'm going to travel to when I'm allowed <laughs> to actually get on a plane. Um, yeah. And if for any reason your travels bring you to Montreal, uh, it would be my greatest honor to give you a really nice walking tour of old Montreal and just really show you some of the the special things you don't get on the uh, sort of on the tourist maps. I, I would be honored to do that. Oh, thank you. No, I've loved talking to you. I'd, I'd love to hear more about, about Rockford actually. I mean, what, what a, what a coincidence and. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just what a coincidence. Yeah. You know, my father would tell me um, growing up that when they put in the, the I-90 highway that um and it went kind of around rockford that it didn't bring people into rockford and it more took people out of rockford i don't know if there's anything to that but that was one theory that i kind of would hear as a childhood or i'm sorry as a child well i don't have any of the current stats and you know when i was there we're talking about 2000 and let me just think for a second uh, probably 10 about 10 years ago plus or minus so mm-hmm. arguably a lot of things change in that period of yeah. time but i do remember the downtown to have tremendous vacancy at the commercial mm-hmm. level and there yeah. were a few very uh, inspirational entrepreneurs who were making investments to reinvigorate the the downtown but as you know rockford faced tremendous challenges with with crime and things like that and mm-hmm. one of the major reasons was that the downtown was basically desolate for mm-hmm. the vast majority of hours and there's been a real movement towards changing that and i haven't been there in in about 10 years but um mm-hmm. It is my hope that like many U.S. cities and neighborhoods focusing on, you know, reactivating the downtowns versus going further out into the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Well, I would be so honored to have you. If you are in San Diego, I would love to have you to my office. And thank you. 
invite you to my home for a glass of wine if that sounds good and I would love that and I would love to love to meet your boyfriend and get a nice plate of prosciutto and I arrive that would be absolutely <laughs> wonderful I would I would love nothing more Oh great well let's make it happen <laughs> Look forward to it I wish you all the best. Thanks for investing Thank your time. You. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. Continued yeah. success. I will continue to follow your amazing work and uh, hopefully we get to collaborate uh, at some point in the future. Yes, I would love that very much. Thank nice you. Nice to speak to you. Be well. You too. Bye. Thanks for joining this episode of the Fireside Chat with designer Jules Wilson. Now, it usually feels like an interview, but this kind of felt more like a discussion with an old friend. It was casual, it was creative, it was funny. I really love getting to know Jules a little bit and her perspective on space, design, weaving in personal story and history. And her approach to the outdoors is not only refreshing, but unbelievably timely in the market that we're in. She has a lot to share with the design world, and I think we'll be following her for a really long time. Thanks to Jules for being an incredible guest and an incredibly inspiring designer. As always, the Fireside Chat is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a question, an idea for an episode, or just want to drop us a line, feel free to do so at Urban Bonfire on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, or on social media platform of your choice. Until next time, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. Thanks very much for listening.